Oh, this is going to be a good one. You're listening to Pete the Planner. This week on the Pete the Planner show, we're back. It's fresh. It's February 2019. So many news updates for you. But more importantly than anything, we're answering your money questions. Why? Why? I'll ask the questions here. Actually, you ask the questions here. That's how the show works. You email your financial question to me at askpete at petetheplanner.com. My job here on this show is to entertain you and to educate you. That's what we do every single week. And we've been doing it now for 10 years. Oh, my Lord. Uh, so I'll give you some... Uh, here are the updates we got today. Uh, we're going to talk about job loss for people in their 50s. Current obsession of mine. Why? I don't know. Why do I keep asking myself why? That's the real question. Uh, current obsession of mine is job loss when you're in your 50s. So we're going to explore that here in the first couple of segments. Uh, third segment, we're going to talk about decluttering your finances. You know, the big uh, trends these days are uh, minimalism and uh, what's it, Marie Kondo, I think her name is. I don't know. She's on Netflix, and she's telling everyone to have your socks bring you joy uh, and passion, whatever. And so I'm going to tell you how to declutter your financial life and finally the biggest waste of money of the week. Let's begin with losing your uh, job in your 50s. It has long been a contention of mine that your 50s, the decade of your life in which you are 50 through 59, is the hardest decade of your financial life. I'm going to say that again because you just never see it coming, right? Your 20s, really broke. You don't have a good job. Sorry, everybody in their 20s. Uh, you got student loan. I, we've all been there. I mean, this is not a millennial thing. This is someone who happens to be in their 20s. Uh, we've been there. It, it, it's hard, right? But, but it gets better, right? And, and it's not that actually hard compared to your 50s because in your 50s, there's some pretty high stakes, You've got significantly less time left in your career uh, in your winter, when you're in your 50s. Uh, your health is more expensive to maintain in your 50s. Your parents' health, if they happen to still be living, uh, are, uh, is more expensive and has a bigger impact on your life. You have conceivably uh, conceived children and put them through college, and they may have boomeranged back and become one of the 41% of young adults not in school who receive financial support from their parents and a bevy of other reasons. Being in your 50s puts you at a very vulnerable point. So over the next couple of weeks in USA Today, I am writing about this topic. And I first began to think about this topic when I was 20 years old, which is a weird time to think about job loss for someone in their 50s. It was 1998. You remember the year. I don't know if you do or not. Um, I was trying to be like, a, hey, we're in this together, but I don't know if you remember it. And frankly, the only thing I remember about 1998 is that my dad came home from work one day and he handed me a book. And the book said on the cover, it was the title, Who Moved My Cheese? My dad gave me a copy of the book that was released in the fall of 1998. And it was called Who Moved My Cheese? It was a New York Times bestseller. And it's a, it was a book, it was an allegory, really, about two mice who tried to deal with immense change. One of them's name's Scram, and I, no one cares, okay? And I remember reading the book, and my dad was, like, really into it, right? And so I was 20, he was mid-40s, 46, I believe he would have been. 
And he was totally into it. He was like, change happens. You got to deal with it. I'm like, dude, I'm 20. I don't really care that nothing, no career things are happening to me right now. But I remember just filing it away in my head that, man, apparently people have problems in the mid part of their career. Okay, so now, uh, with a little perspective, some 21 years later, I am a professional financial problem solver, and as it turns out, I have turned into a little bit of a cheese guide. Because the concept of who moved my cheese is that there is great change. These mice scurry along, the cheese is in the same place, and they're used to where it's at, then it moves, and their lives are turned upside down, uh, and they run ragged. Okay, so this is all to tell you, if you lose your job in your 50s, nothing, nothing can shock the system quite like that because you are so close to retirement, yet you, you are not to retirement. If you have all got a 45-year career, it's sort of the number I'm working with these days, if you've got a 45-year career span and you lose your job in your 50s, you're taking the final 10 years and putting them into question. And so what people naturally do when they lose their job in their 50s is, well, generally they panic. What I've seen is when people lose their job in their 50s, their first thing to do, and and I don't want to say rightfully so, but more understandably so, they lose their mind. Why wouldn't you? I'm having empathy here. I'm not judging someone. I would lose my marbles if I had been in a position or in a career, specifically one that is defined by upward mobility, where you just keep climbing that proverbial ladder and then the rungs start breaking and you slide back down, you don't have a job. So what a lot of people do is that, and by the way, I feel like I buy the way a lot. I mean, is it that effective if you keep doing it? I have a lot of friends in this scenario. And I mean, now that I'm 41 years old, I, I have a lot of friends that age. I had a buddy uh, just before the new year, mid-50s, high on the corporate ladder, no job now. So what you're forced to do is you're supposed, you're supposed to ask this question. You're supposed to say, okay, what am I going to do here? Am I going to try to just retire now? Okay, right, which is, which is pretty hard to do. Or, you know, maybe I'll just write out the severance. Maybe I'll collect myself and figure out what the next chapter of my life is, which sounds very healthy, is very healthy, but, but pragmatically, it's, it's not actually that uh, possible. So here's, here's the path, and, and we only got a couple of minutes left in this segment, but we're going to spend a lot of time on this in the next segment, is the very first thing you do, I'm talking the moment you lose your job, like the very moment you lose your job, I want you to f- calculate how many paychecks you have left at your normal pay, okay? Because some people lose their job with severance. Some people lose their job with nothing. But what we need to know is, if you want to think about this like a bomb, how long is your fuse? How long is your fuse? Because when the fuse runs out, boom. Boom. And I don't mean boom, like the economy is booming. And I mean like boom, like the economy blew up, like bad boom. We need to know how long your fuse is. 
So a, number one, despite the fact that all these different things are, are going through your head, I mean, you're thinking about your health insurance, you're thinking about your life insurance, you're thinking about your disability insurance, your bills, your expenses, your short-term savings, your retirement savings, all of these things. You might be thinking about Parent PLUS loans, these financially dependent aging parents we talked about, the boomerang children that are flying back in your life. These are all the things you're thinking about. But what I need you to think about the moment if you happen to lose your, lose your job in your 50s I need you to think about how many more days do you remain at the current pay that you've been at for conceivably months slash years. That's the first place to start. The second place to start is going to surprise you. We have just a moment to touch on it now, but the second place to start is to actually go online Within five minutes of doing the calculation of how much income you have left from your severance, go online and uh, explore your unemployment benefits that are available to you based on what state you live in. Now, every state is different. Some, some states allow you to collect severance and unemployment. Others do not. Severance is part of your income. Therefore, you cannot uh, claim unemployment uh, income until the severance <clears throat> severed. But what do you do after that? I mean, we're talking here again. This is now within the first hour of you finding out you don't have a job. You do the math and figure out when you're, how long you're going to have income. Next thing is you're filing for unemployment benefits. But what do you do next? Coming up after the break, I'm going to talk to you about the next website you go to. And this all happens on the very first day of unemployment in your 50s. That's what we're dealing with this week. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is my show. Back on the Pete the Planner show, talking job loss. Oh boy, aren't you glad you tuned in? It happens. I'm not suggesting the economy is tightening. If you saw jobs numbers this week for January, you saw that they were through the roof in a good way. I don't know why I have to say through the roof in a good way. I don't think you can go through the roof in a bad way. Although if something went through my roof, that's bad, right? Job numbers were through the roof. The economy, I don't know, in my estimation, feels confused. Like the market was great in January. Jobs numbers were great in January. The government shut down in January. There's thought that GDP uh, will shrink in the first quarter compared to estimates. Uh, there was some thought, as we talked about here in recent weeks, that if the uh, government shutdown had gone on any further, that we'd be at 0% growth of GDP over uh, previous time frame. And here's the other thing to consider here, too. There is a shot that the government shuts back down again on February 15th. We will take a look at that later. But right now, we're dealing with job loss in your 50s. Uh, this, this segment also applies to anyone who loses their job. But I think the 50s, losing a job in your 50s is one of the toughest things that can happen to you. You know, I wasn't going to bring it up, but since I'm going to bring it up, I'll bring it up. You know, age discrimination is a thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of nervously laughing because I'm uncomfortable. It, it's one of those things that's sort of hard to prove, but it's equally hard to disprove that, that people lose their job in their 50s and then have a hard time resecuring employment. 
I, I have a lot of anecdotal evidence of such in my personal life, people that are very close to me, people who email me, I interact with and talk to on a regular basis, losing your job in your 50s, it can be hard to uh, pivot and get back in the right direction. So the first thing we talked about in the first segment is the first hour of being unemployed. You find out you lose your job, you are emotional, understandably. And the uh, very first thing you're doing is you're trying to figure out how many weeks of income, how many days of income do you have remaining at uh, what was your current income pace? You know, it could be a, a byproduct of pay frequency. You know, here at our offices, uh, you know, the work I'm doing today, I will be paid for in two weeks. So if I were to get fired by myself today, I don't know. Uh, then two weeks from now, I would get that last pay. So I would have essentially two weeks left at this income level because the pay I would have gotten today was from two weeks ago. Or maybe I've been here for 20 years and the boss gives me a little bit of a severance. That's the first thing you figure out. Second thing you figure out, you go to your, the unemployment uh, uh, work, you know, Department of Workforce Development in your state and you file for unemployment. Third thing you do, it's a weird one. It's a super, super weird one. Go to your online banking or go to your bank statement or go to your bank and print off the last 30 days of spending. Uh, this is the one you don't want to do. This tip I'm giving you right now is the last thing you want to do because when you're about to ha not have money at your disposal or the normal amount of money at your disposal, the thing you want to do is to feel like you have money. What I'm asking you to do is to go to your bank account Print off your spending statement for the last 30 days, grab a marker, and begin to circle things that a person without a job should not be spending money on. That's a pretty subjective direction, though, don't you think? Hey, you don't have a job. Should you be going to Olive Garden? That's not, I'm not being condescending here. You, you have to do that. And you have to do that on the most painful day potentially, of your career. Why? Here's why. Because if you're in your 50s, you've got around 10 years left before you can probably retire, and you find yourself with a great hiccup in your career, you likely could use the benefit of pressing the reset button. And if losing your job in your 50s doesn't motivate you to do that, nothing will. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to identify the silver lining here, and it's this. You now are more motivated than ever, than ever, to press reset on your expenses. And you do it by looking at your spending, circling uh, the expenses classified under the category of, yeah, I don't have a job. I shouldn't probably have this expense. And then you add them up. And then you act, or better yet, you don't act. You don't spend that money that you've typically spent. Now, here's the, the really tough part, because the whole process is tough. I'm not going to lie to you. I think sometimes personal finance advice is really trite. You know, all you, you would do is put a budget together. All right, man, good luck finding a job. No, that's not, I don't know why I use that voice either. It, this is hard. I already told you, this is the hardest thing you'll ever do is lose your job in your 50s. And by the way, not everyone loses their job in their 50s, but I'm going to go out on a limb here and see the vast majority of people lose their job before they want to lose a job. 
I'm reminded of this based on some personal news that I'll talk more about in the fourth segment. But I'm no longer writing for my hometown newspaper, the Indianapolis Star. Uh, they no longer uh, chose to spend the money to run my column. Uh, woe is me. The bigger issue is the newspaper business in general. I mean, along with me losing my column, which is still running in USA Today and other Gannett papers, um, people got laid off that day. People have been there for 20, 30 years, right? I don't think those people went to work on the day that they lost their job thinking they're going to lose their job. It's a really hard day. And so as I lost my column in my hometown paper, which I've been writing for six years, 315 columns. Why am I talking about this now? We're talking. Uh, I thought to myself, man, it, it rarely ends on the terms you want it to end on. I don't know how I wanted it to end, but I didn't want it to end that way. And I feel like that's why people find themselves in their mid to late 50s without the job they wanted. Is this a depressing segment? I don't know. It's truthful. Okay, so you circle expenses on your on your spending statement, and those are the ones you're going to eliminate. What do you do next? Well, the next part is just more mechanical, and this can be day two. Everything we've just talked about so far is day one. Day two is this. Figure out your benefits. Figure out um, how long you're going to have health insurance, and if you're going to have to exercise COBRA, or if you're going to have to go out in the marketplace and get health insurance, and that plays right back into the fact that you're cutting expenses. Now, one of the natural uh, moves that people make in this moment in their life is they see how many nuts are in the tree, right? They say, all right, I've got this much in savings. I've got this much in a 401k. I've got this much in retirement. This is an emergency. Break the glass, pull the handle, run out of the building. Oh, yeah, this is an emergency. But what you can't do is to spend through the assets that are that are supposed to support you for the rest of your life. Like if I'm if I'm 25 and I lose my job and I have a 401k with $3200 in it and I have no other assets, I've nothing else going on and I don't have a job yet, it's not inconceivable inconceivable that I would liquidate my 401k, take a penalty, pay the taxes and then use that money to survive a month. I'm not saying you should do it, but people do it all the time. If you are doing that in your 50s, you're signing your death warrant. You cannot spend through your assets when you're in your 50s and you lose your job. Oftentimes when people lose their job, they say, well, you know, take some time, try to find what's next for you and make sure it's the right fit. I don't know. I think at that point in your life, you need income flowing in immediately. You know how people after a divorce, they're like, ah, get back in there. I don't know. Maybe not with divorce. Maybe take your time and collect yourself. With job loss, get back in there. It's a scary situation. Read more about this in the USA Today. I have a two-part series coming up. Don't read it in the Indy Star. It's not in there. I'll tell you more about that here coming up. After the break, we're going to talk about Marie Kondo, uncluttering your financial life. That's all next on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm that guy. Back on the Pete the Planner show. If you want to email me, do so. Ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. Ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. Oh, it is all the craze right now. 
people decluttering, watching Netflix. Um, it's uh, have you heard about? That? I mean, like everyone's super into. Her name is Marie Kondo, K-O-N-D-O, and it's this show in which a woman goes to people into people's lives. It's a reality show and helps them get rid of stuff that's in their house. Now, we've had Joshua Becker, who I, I happen to sub, sub, subscribe to the gospel according to Joshua Becker when it comes to decluttering and minimalism, but sort of the hotness right now is this Marie Kondo, and what she's really into is this concept of picking up a particular item that you own, looking at it, and asking the question to yourself, does this item bring me joy? If it does, I'm going to keep it. If it does not, you get rid of it. All right, so let's think about what, let's do some practical applications here. Um, I've got a frying pan in my kitchen that is on the bottom of the frying pan drawer that I've probably not used in three years. Were I to pick up that frying pan, hold it about my face, and say the question, does this bring me joy? The answer is no, and I'm getting rid of it, right? Okay, let's say I go upstairs, I'm in my bedroom, and I reach into my sock drawer, and I find my favorite wool socks that keep my feet toasties during polar vortexes, and I ask myself, does this bring me joy? You bet your socks it does, and I keep it. But how about our financial lives? Our financial lives, whether you have joy or not, they're cluttery, right? Just take one look at your credit report at annualcreditreport.com, not a commercial it's free. Don't buy the extra stuff. Just go run your report at annualcreditreport.com. And what you will find is that, man, you got a lot of accounts. The older I get, the, the more pages print off when I run my credit report. It's a little wacky. And it doesn't even necessarily mean that I have more credit lines. It means that unless my credit is frozen, the credit bureaus keep selling my information over and over and over again. Some of the things we do collect from a financial Twitter standpoint, financial Twitter, did I say financial Twitter? I meant clutter. Boy, I'm thinking about two things, is to cut back on plastic. Now, what I've always found funny about our purses and wallets, and I say our purses because, I, as you might know, I do carry a man purse, is that women's wallets typically have more slots for plastic, that is credit and or debit cards, than a typical men's wallet. It's just interesting. I'm not trying to stereotype. I am pointing out a very obvious truth. I think the average woman's wallet has six to eight slots for credit cards, and then the average men's wallet has three or four. Do you really need 10 plus credit debit store cards? I wouldn't think so. I mean, I think about my particular wallet. I have very few. I have a company card, and I've got a personal card. I don't know if you need a lot more than that. I, we've all seen people shuffle through their wallets at the checkout line to determine which card they're going to put it on. And I don't, I'm not saying that from a, a classist standpoint where I'm saying, oh, this here's this class of people trying to figure out where the money is. No, it, it's just clutter. You know what else is clutter? Oh my gosh, this is about to turn into a gripe session. Can you feel it? All the membership cards and everything. 
Uh, there's two restaurant groups here in central Indiana that I happen to go to a lot, and they both have like frequent diner membership club cards, and I ask myself, why do I have their plastic in my wallet? I use them quite frequently, but it is pretty cluttery. You know, some services, there's apps that let you put those cards, take, take pictures, and then scan them onto your uh, phone or something like that, which makes a lot of sense at the grocery store. I don't want to have my keychain filled with like little miniature tags. And nowadays, anyway, when someone asks me for your email address or do you have the membership card or if you're at CVS and you're about to get a 35-foot receipt, you know, it's like, why do I need to scan this to get 50 cents off of my children's Tylenol? And yes, I do have kids. I'm not just a weirdo that goes and buys children's Tylenol. How about an email? According to uh, my good friend Damian Dunn, who wrote a piece at pizzaplanner.com on our blog called Simplify Your Financial Life, uh, rerunning your email, the average U.S. consumer gets 386 emails from companies each week reminding them of all the deals they should be taking advantage of. Well, I believe that. I feel like every time I call my inbox and unsubscribe, I get out of all these services, somehow new ones show up. Obviously, it's because I'm signing up for new ones. I have this one right now. It's a, it's a clothing store in Chicago. It's got stores in other cities too, but nothing around central Indiana. And I got on there. I went online and to get a discount, I put in my email address. They legitimately email me three times a day. And for some unknown reason, I still haven't unsubscribed. I don't know why. Social media is also a great way to declutter your financial life because here's what ends up happening. Once your preferences are known to the world with your web searches and your email lists and everything else, then the things that you're considering buying are going to pop up in your social feeds and try to convince you that you need that thing. Have you ever done that? There's the, all those theories about you're having a conversation about something and all of a sudden it pops up in an ad on your computer and there's this conspiracy that you know your phone is listening to, your computer is listening to. Whether that's true or not, I have no idea. But really, this is about simplifying your life, trying to make sure that you only spend your money and your time and your brain space on the things that bring you joy, just like Marie Kondo said. Now, from a financial uh, statement standpoint, I used to be a three-ring binder guy, but I don't want three-ring binders sitting around. And I think sometimes digital stuff, you know, that, that can, it can be a little troublesome too. We recently had a hard drive go down on one of our computers. Uh, which, by the way, the fact that I said one of our computers may indicate that there, in fact, is some digital clutter in our lives, then you lose a bunch of data, right? So obviously, a cloud is a great way to back that up if you're not too worried about uh, data security by, by encrypting documents and important things in your life into the cloud. That is a good way to declutter. But other than that, I mean, look, uh, my wife and I run our financial lives on spreadsheets, right? We don't get... Uh, paper mail sent to us in terms of our financial statements. We just keep track of our usernames and our passwords and we log in on a regular basis and check them. Maybe we get the email reminder on the quarters to do that. I think a lot of times uh, our habits of growing up and getting bank statements in the mail and credit card statements and 401k statements, that that can create clutter. And it's also not that safe to have a paper statement mailed to your house that you may or may not shred, and it's going to end up in the hands of someone that you don't want to see it. So that's the key. That's the key here. 
declutter your financial life. This also, by the way, may mean that you end up uh, combining some uh, old 401ks, some old IRAs. Maybe um, your financial life is, cl de or is cluttered, I should say, because you have two or three different financial advisors. I see that a lot. I could do an entire segment, how people work against themselves by trying to get cute and have two or three different financial advisors. The advisors don't know that the other one exists. They work against each other uh, unknowingly, and no one wins. The client loses. And the advisor's trying to help them, but they don't have all that information. Declutter. Simplify. You know, that's the concept of target date funds within 401ks. Target date funds are often called funds of funds, are one group of investments that uh, you can buy that uh, you just hold one fund, and it's got a bunch of other funds in it, and it is managed for you based on time horizons, so your, your age, and when you might need that money potentially in retirement. You know, declutter your 401k as it's often marketed. Instead of doing your own allocation where you have 15 to, different, uh, 15 to 20 different funds, just buy the one target date fund, you open your statement via email because you're not getting it in the paper mail anymore, and you see one fund. That is decluttering. All right, coming up after the break, I will give you the rest of the lowdown on uh, my personal news uh, with my newspaper column. We'll hit biggest waste of money of the week and more. I'm Pete the Planner. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner Show is... We'll get to that here in a second. All right, so I lost my newspaper column from the Indianapolis Star. I don't know. I'm not going to pull any punches here. I mean, that's what happened. Uh, here's how it went down. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I opened the Sunday Star. I get the paper. I go out in the driveway in my boxer shorts and slippers, sandals, whatever you call them. <laughs> I had a robe on. And I grab the paper, bring it inside, open to the business section. No, There is no business section in the paper. Okay, so I open to the business section to find there is no business section which means my column wasn't in that week. I'd sent it in. It appeared online. I emailed my editor. My editor uh, did not reply right away, which is fine. It was a Sunday. Didn't hear anything. Didn't hear anything. A couple days later, it's Tuesday. I get an email from a person I don't know, and it says, we're not running your column anymore. Uh, financial decision. Nothing personal. End of story. That's it. That's, that's the story. That's how I lost my Eddie Star column. I'm not asking for sympathy. I really am not because that same week that that happened and the week after, hundreds, if not thousands, of actual talented journalists lost their jobs, their livelihoods. I spend 90 minutes a week writing my column, which, by the way, still appears in USA Today and a bunch of other papers. It's just my, it's not my hometown paper anymore. My feelings aren't hurt. Uh, other than getting an email from someone I don't know, and that sort of sucked. Uh, <laughs> I hadn't really told that story yet, but that's the way it went down. I felt that to be unprofessional. Anytime you part a relationship after six years, uh, I mean, an email. I could have gone over a phone call or maybe even a fax. I don't know. Email seemed a little impersonal. But here's the bigger point with paper, with newspaper and, and, and print journalism in general. The game's changed, man. I, I feel really bad. If, if uh, 
features like mine and, and actually talented people out there that, that, you know, have a daily column, those features have to go away because the revenue's not there. Then people get mad that those features go away. So they unsubscribe. And then the paper has to raise the prices for subscriptions so that more people don't lose their job. And, and it's just, it's a disaster. And I feel so bad for the journalists out there that are just doing their job. Imagine your job for a second. Well, I don't know what you do for a living. Imagine your job for a second. It's just the whole industry around is just going away. And you're just doing your job and you're good at your job. Maybe you're part of the Indie Star investigation team that, that helped break the Larry Nasser USA Gymnastics scandal. The Indie Star was just crucial to that entire story. And there were good people at the Star who, who are just trying to do that work, but circumstances of the industry aren't allowing it. So again, I do not take personally that I lost my newspaper column. I am vastly more upset for the people that lost their careers because it was 90 minutes of my week. So there's the story of why I'm no longer in the Indy Star. Uh, but you can still read me online and uh, USA Today as well. So best of luck to my colleagues, former colleagues at the Star. Um, truly, I, I hope it all works out. This week's biggest waste of money of the week is the Watch Gang. What? Whether you're an avid collector or starting from scratch, the Watch Gang can help you stock up on quality pieces. The subscription service allows members to get a fresh watch every month based on their style and preferences. Memberships come in three tiers, and watches are generally worth up to five times more than the monthly cost. They can do this by working directly with brands, guaranteeing you get an authentic timepiece at a great price. Along with their monthly arrival, subscribers can also take advantage of benefits like weekly Rolex, Tag Heuer, and Seiko giveaways and access to their exclusive community, the Watch Gang Exchange. Starts at $30 a month. Okay, here's the thing. Did we not just do a segment on clutter and minimalism? And does it bring me joy? I mean, if you sign up for this, you're getting 12 watches in 2019. You're getting 12 watches in 2019. They all bring you joy? Really? All of them? All right, so let's go into the trust tree. Mr. Transparent here. I used to be a watch guy. I've talked about it on this show from time to time, if you're a long-time listener. That's an embarrassing thing to say that, that you are or were. I'm a watch guy. What does that mean? It means I had a lot of things that could tell me the time. You know what also tells me the time? My phone in my pocket. You know, the device that distracts me from being a good parent. No one needs 12 watches. Let's say for just a moment... I signed up for the watch gang for three years, right? And I have 36 watches. What, why, how does that even make sense? Anytime we think about stuff like this, do you not, like me, just think about our grandparents and how stupid they think something like this is? I view my grandfather, John Dunn from Speedway, Indiana, may he rest in peace, the bastion for sensibility. Like, I, I think about him, this is not exaggerating, I think about him every day. Every day. 
mostly because I'm trying to think of something sensible or not. And generally, I, I just see him just shaking his head judgmentally, as he should, and saying, why does anyone need 12 watches? That's why this watch uh, gang uh, item is this week's biggest waste of money of the week. Edmunds.com came out once again in January, like they always do. Their average new vehicle buyer, how much a buyer of a new vehicle spends, and what are the terms of new car purchases in this country of ours? Always comes out in January. The numbers are stupider than ever. <laughs> I'm so negative this week. If you feel negative, I love positivity. It's where I'm at. Um, it really is where I'm at. And so this is a little negative show, so I apologize for that. We talked about job loss, me losing a newspaper column, people wasting money on what. This is a negative show, and I'm you know I'm sorry, but this is some stupid stuff. Uh, the average down payment on a car four thousand one hundred and ninety one dollars. Okay, first of all, that's not bad, but I have a hard time believing that number. I think that number has a lot more to do with trade in. In fact. I don't know that for sure, but I, I'm I'm 98% confident on that. People just trade in whatever car they have, and voila, it's on average worth $4,191. The average new car loan, the amount borrowed, is $31,707. There's something else you need to take in consideration here. Some people might be trading in cars that are upside down have negative equity, meaning they might be buying a $25,000 car, but they're borrowing $31,000 because they've got to finance back in uh, the $6,000 loans that they, that they owe. The average length or term of the new car loan in 2019 is 69.1 months. You know, if I remember correctly, I think that's down. I thought it was 73 months last year. And the average monthly new car payment in the United States of America in January of 2019 is $551. $551 is the average new car payment in America. I did some math because, well, it's what I'm good at. That means in order to be able to, quote, unquote, uh, afford, by my uh, judgment, a $551 a month car payment, you would have to have take-home pay, so this is after tax, take-home pay of $5,666 if you are an average driver from an insurance standpoint and you drive an average number of miles. So unless you make $5,666 a month, you should not have a $551 a month car payment. Here's what I'm going to do for you next week. I'm going to bring the positivity. Oh, I really am. This was too negative this week. Besides, I'm going up to uh, Wisconsin next week where I'm going to be part of another polar vortex, so I need to get my mind right. That's it for this week's show. Go to PeteThePlanner.com to learn more. Thank you for listening. See, that's positive. I'm sending you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner, and this, this is my show. And then they